Hello! We're really glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you're doing well. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today we are continuing our exploration of what we're talking about as the disciplines. And the reason we're talking about disciplines is because we're wondering, what does the Christian faith and its practice look like on a day-to-day basis? We understand the expectations. We're supposed to avoid sin in Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh. We're supposed to manifest it through the Spirit in verses 22-24. We're supposed to come to a better understanding of what God has revealed, and we can do that through... Uh, reading and studying the Bible, or hearing the word preached in John 8, 32, 2 Timothy 2, 15, etc. Uh, we're supposed to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to give thanks in verse 18. We're to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, as we have opportunity in Galatians 6 and verse 10. And, and so we know about those and going to church, and that's all well and good. But what do we see in Scripture and in the life of faith, about how that actually gets done on a day-to-day basis. What does it look like to do things in a godly Christian way on a day-to-day basis? Well, an ancient understanding of at least some of these practices on a day-to-day basis uh, were, were called the disciplines. We talk about discipline. Discipline is a term that tends to have a pretty bad connotation of correction or chastisement, which sometimes is necessary, but discipline is simply boundaries. It's giving a form or shape to something. So to, get, to discipline is to keep within certain boundaries. That's why in 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says he disciplines his body to make it his slave, that he needs to have uh, boundaries with his body, and, and only certain kinds of conduct will do. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, Paul says that, among other things, God has given us the spirit of sophronismos, which is discipline or self-control. And therefore, our lives are supposed to be marked by self-control and sober thinking in, in Galatians 5.24 and 1 Peter 4.7. Now, how does discipline gets maintained as a matter of liberty? But we see in the pages of Scripture, especially in examples, uh, these ancient practices known as the disciplines that Christians used to maintain a discipline in their spiritual practices. And today we're going to talk about one that a lot of people have a lot of questions about, and maybe not have heard as often, but uh, try to make sense of it, and that's fasting. Because Jesus in Mark 4, 4 fasted. Early Christians in Acts 13, 2 and 3 and 14, 23 fasted. But fasting doesn't seem to be very prevalent among Christians. And so it's good for us to spend some time looking at this ancient discipline of fasting. What is it? When should it be done? And what is it for? So what is fasting? Well, fasting is voluntary abstinence from something from a set, for a set period of time. In the Bible, fasting generally involves abstinence from food and drinks except for water. In the Old Testament, we can see fasting for various reasons. So fasting is not eating food and drinking anything but water for a a period of time. Uh, Generally, that period of time does not extend beyond uh, 24 hours, although uh, Jesus has an exception of 40 days and nights uh, in in Mark 4. 
Uh, and so we see a lot of times Israel is fasting for all sorts of reasons. In Zechariah 8.19, uh, Zechariah is talking about the various fasts that the people were keeping. And they kept specific fasts for different reasons. Uh, one of them was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, in the Old Testament, in, in Exodus, God, or in Leviticus, God says they're supposed to afflict themselves. And that was taken and understood to mean that they were going to... Um, fast, that they weren't going to eat on the Day of Atonement. Also, on the day of the anniversary of the Temple's destruction was another day of fasting. In Judges 20, and verse 26, after they had been uh, defeated in battle by the, the children of Benjamin, the sons of Israel fasted uh, before Yahweh. In 1 Samuel 7, and verse 6, as they're repenting for all of their sins, part of what Israel is doing is fasting. Um, in 1 Samuel 31, 13, 2 Samuel 1, 12, when Saul is killed, um, some of the Israelites fasted seven days to, to mark Saul's death. Second uh, Samuel twelve sixteen, David, when his child Bathsheba was ill before he died, uh, he fasted. David fasted. Ezra nine and verse five, when Ezra heard about the uh, sinfulness of the people and taking foreign wives, uh, he fasted uh, and prayed at that time. And Nehemiah one four, when Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem and its walls, he uh, lamented, mourned, and he fasted. Uh, Esther 4, 13, 4, 4, 3, and 16, excuse me. Uh, the Jews hold a fast when they hear about the decree of destruction by Haman. And Esther calls for a fast before she attempts to go and stand before the king. Uh, Daniel 9, verse 3, when, when uh, Daniel's praying to God because he recognizes the time of the seven year of exile has come to an end, he fasts while he's praying. Um, on the other hand, we also have Isaiah 58 where the people are crying out. They have fasted in verse 3, but it seems that, Israel, that God has not seen it. That they have, Why have we humbled ourselves and you take down knowledge of it? Uh, but then uh, God points out, wait a second, wait a second. You do all these sinful practices. Uh, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to uh, let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread of the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide your own flesh? Hide yourself from your old flesh. Uh, basically, the whole point of Isaiah 58 is that the Israelites were fasting at various times, seeking to secure uh, God's good favor, but they were sinful at other times, and they, and, and they were trying to use it as kind of a tit-for-tat, quid pro quo thing, and that's not the way it was working. That Not that God wanted them to stop fasting, per se, but that all of that fasting wasn't going to make up for unrighteousness at other times. It's not just an Old Testament thing uh, to see fasting either. In Mark 2 and verse 18 and Luke 5 and verse 33, uh, it is even made a point asked of Jesus, well, the disciples of John fast and the Pharisees fast, why aren't your disciples fasting? Jesus' answer is about how, well, they don't fast while the bridegroom's there. When the bridegroom leaves, uh, there will be fasting. And so he doesn't rule it out entirely for in, 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 in Christianity. In Luke 2 and verse 37, we're told that Anna the prophet has continually prayed and fasted. Uh, in Acts 27 verse 9, a very interesting detail, that fasting as the affliction during the Day of Atonement was such a marked feature of the Day of Atonement that Luke uh, talks about the, 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 how late it was in the season for their ship to start sailing, uh, knowing in the Mediterranean that as a late fall gets going, you have a lot more storms, a lot more in, unpredictability in the, in the waters. He says that the fast had already taken place. It was after the fast, and by the fast he means the Day of Atonement. 
Um, so that shows how marked that was in the, in the eyes of those who at least come out of Judaism. Uh, fasting was a part of Jesus' instruction and the practice of early Christians. In, in Matthew 6, 16-18, Jesus uh, explains the hypocrisy hypocrisy of those who uh, make it clear that they're fasting, that they are afflicting themselves, uh, they disfigure their bodies, uh, they make it clear to everyone, they're trying to make it obvious, so look at me, I am fasting. And, and he says, well don't look gloomy like they do, uh, they, they have a reward, they're, they're seen by others, but he tells them in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The idea then, verse 17, but when you fast, that this is something that is expected behavior of uh, the early followers of Jesus. As we said in Mark two eighteen through 20, that the expectation exists that uh, when the bridegroom departs, then they will have fasting. In Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, uh, in an in indisputably Gentile uh, Jewish place, uh, Antioch, uh, well after the establishment of the kingdom, uh, by, and to the point where there are Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom, we have a very important example that in verse 2 we're told that the um, uh, that these people who were there, including Barnabas and Saul, were fasting. Uh, they were worshipping and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Let's set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the works which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so there was fasting before, while they were attempting to discern the will of God, and then when the Holy Spirit made clear his will that the uh, Saul and Barnabas were to be set apart for uh, ministry, uh, there was fasting and praying before they were set off as well. In Acts 14 and verse 23, uh, when the Barnabas and Paul are going around the churches of Asia Minor, primarily Gentile uh, in the area of Galatia, and while they were uh, appointing elders, they appointed the elders with prayer and fasting. And so fasting was a part of that effort of, of establishing elders in those churches. Uh, likewise, in 2 Corinthians 6, 5, and 11, 27, uh, while talking about the various trials, tribulations, and distresses, and things that he's been doing, Paul mentions fastings, that fasting was a regular part of things that he was doing uh, as an apostle. So there's a lot of Old and New t Testament precedent for fasting. We barely scratched the surface of all the different places and times there's fasting in the Old Testament. I uh, looked at it a little bit more thoroughly in the New, but we see that there's certainly a place for it. Which leads us to a very awkward question. Okay, if fasting is, is got this place in the Bible, why don't we see more fasting among Christians? And as many will point out, well, in all the passages we looked at, there's no passage commanding Christians to fast. The Bible never commands the Christian to fast, and, and that is certainly true. Uh, but we have to ask, is it unnecessary or irrelevant because it's not commanded? Um, there's a lot of biblical precedent for fasting, and the challenge of fasting involves the timing and reasoning for it. And that speaks to why perhaps it's not commanded and talks about our practice and, and our level of faith and where we're at with things. 
So, and it's sometimes difficult. We've got to kind of extrapolate in the New Testament, from the New Testament and Old Testament, kind of their times and reasons and seasons for fasting. Um, we can see that Israel maintained certain scheduled fasts. That there were certain days that were days of fasting. For instance, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the day that commemorated the destruction of the Temple like in Zechariah 8.19 and other passages. A ruler or an official might call for a fast because of a time of distress. Esther, We saw Esther do that in Esther 4 and verse 16. Now, in the New Testament, there are no scheduled fast days. And there's also sometimes a reticence uh, about fasting because we see in various denominations and other religious organizations kind of imposed or coerced fasts, uh, something like Lent, uh, that is constantly uh, focused on. And, and that has a denominational tradition, and it's binding, and, and a lot of times the hypocrisy that will go on in such a obser- an observance has, has kind of soured people on fasting. And oh, that's understandable. We, we need to recognize there are no scheduled fasts in the New Testament. There may be times where the elders of a particular congregation may exhort the members to fast at a given point. We, could, we, we can see sometimes that might be appropriate. Uh, such an eldership would not go beyond their authority in doing that, and it may be profitable uh, at certain times to encourage that. But there is no scheduled fasts in the New Testament. Uh, and we can imagine the kind of strictures that would come along with that and how much of a point of dispute and argument that would become, which may be part of the reason why there are no scheduled fasts in the New Testament. And that leads us to a question, though, and then the ultimate question, really, why does a person fast? What gets, what should be the reason that someone has decided to fast and in what way? And that really kind of gets us also into the time of when. In, in talking about fasting, why uh, timing and purpose are very hard to kind of distinguish. Uh, when we look in the Bible, from, of all the examples of fasting, all the times where Israel fasted, and there's fast in the New Testament, we see fasting is associated frequently with prayer. And not just any prayer, but frequently, particularly devoted periods of prayer before God. And that this fasting is almost a natural reaction in the face of calamity, of great distress, the sin of the people, the death of a ruler, the people of God in danger, uh, so on and so forth. It seems to be a reactive behavior that in light of these events that have happened, or in anticipation of possible events to happen, that fasting seems to be the response, that one takes and disciplines one's body, uh, withholds food, uh, to devote their prayer life to God. Uh, We see a lot of these transitional events in the New Testament. Uh, The understanding the will of God before Saul and Barnabas are sent off, actually sending off Saul and Barnabas, and the appointment of elders in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, And it's interesting that that's a consistent thing that we see. We don't just see random fasts on random days. We don't see random moments of fasting just for the fun of it. We see that it is associated with these moments of transition, of upheaval, of major decisions, uh, in response to grievous times or actions or events, uh, things of that nature. And, and perhaps the conversation would be better by seeing what 
fasting isn't, especially biblical fasting. Maybe that can help us understand what's going on with this whole fasting thing. Uh, Biblical fasting is not a weight loss technique or for health or medical reasons. Uh, Now, that's not to say that there isn't a time for that. I personally, because of certain dietary things in my life, uh, end up fasting most of the time before lunch on any given day, no matter how many hours I'm awake in the morning. For some reason, my gastrointestinal constitution, I do better if I don't eat until lunch. Uh, that's not a religious decision. That's a personal dietary decision. There's a, for some people who have felt that having a day of fasting or a period of fasting every so often helps them in terms of diet or in terms of weight loss. Uh, in Psalm 10924, the psalmist talks about how he is weaker that he is uh, gone because of his fasting. And certainly if you had a very strong, strict fasting regimen, that would certainly happen. But biblical fasting's purpose is never weight loss or um, for medical reasons. That's not the reason for biblical fasting. Likewise, as we see from Matthew 6, 16-18, biblical fasting is not to look pious and holy before others. Um, fasting is not something to be trumped on uh, saying that you're fasting, that you tell people that you're fasting, that you proclaim on social media that you're fasting, or anything of that sort. Uh, To start fasting on various days just so that you can look like you're holy uh, or really pious to other people means, as Jesus said, you have your reward. Other people see that you look pious, but you're not getting any benefit from God. And that's another important thing, that biblical fasting is not done with the expectation of payment from God, or that somehow it extorts God or force God's hand. Then uh, that's a very important thing to emphasize, because it would be very easy to see, well, the reason that my prayer has not been effective is I haven't fasted along with praying. So therefore, if I fast and pray, then God's definitely going to hear me. That's not the motivation. That's why I think uh, we have Isaiah 58, 3-14, where the Israelites are wondering why what they've been fasting and praying about hasn't taken place. Well, if you're doing a bunch of sinful things, it doesn't matter if you're adding fasting to your prayer. That's not really going to impress God. He'd rather you just do righteousness. Uh, Likewise, you might decide that it's time for fasting along with prayer to really uh, help uh, strengthen that prayer life. That, but that doesn't mean that, well, now that you've added fasting to it, well, God's certainly going to answer you uh, the way that you want. No, it, it doesn't f- ex- force God in any way. That's not what's going on at all. Uh, biblical fasting is not abstaining from food or a particular period of time just because God says so, because others are doing it, or in any other way that does not directly associate the purpose of the fasting with the prayers and the context in which that fasting is taking place. Biblical fasting is not designed to draw attention to itself. It's between God and the one who's fasting. Therefore, the only signs should be evident are to God and the faster. Maybe the obviously the family, the person fasting may recognize that as well. Uh, but it's not to draw attention to itself in Matthew 6.18. But fasting is a way to channel one's energies away from the necessities of physical life to place emphasis on the needs of the spiritual life. It's a discipline and a practice that perhaps is a very almost quote-unquote natural or understandable reaction to a situation paired with prayer. And one of the reasons fasting may seem very strange to us today is because it's been very easy for us to separate out and disassociate the physical from the spiritual. That our filling our bellies and our prayer lives are not related. And therefore we can continue to fill our bellies and that's not going to have any influence on our prayer lives. And 
when we start talking about fasting, some people start getting kind of jittery and wondering if you start going to bind it, you're going to start forcing this strong, long, strong uh, regimen of it. But that's why Colossians two eighteen through twenty three is there. This this saying that you know asceticism, you know restricting things for the sake of restricting them is not uh, going to really get you anywhere. That uh, saying no to these things has no value in conquering the temptations of the flesh. And so we certainly need to respect that and know that, well, the answer to our faith problems is not now to do all this intense fasting. On the other hand, though, and the other corresponding trap that we might have fallen into is almost a form of Gnosticism, where we've divorced our body and soul and missed the interplay between soul and body, and therefore between fasting and prayer. We need to remember, Jesus and Paul and Barnabas and others serve as approved apostolic examples who commend fasting with prayer at various moments in life. And so therefore, if we are not ever having those moments, uh, we don't feel the need to fast during those moments, or maybe even that that impulse is there, but we override that impulse, and we're not following that apostolic example, maybe we need to stop and think, if we've missed something... Uh, that they understood that we've neglected something that they uh, would have us to consider. Because there are moments of anguish and pain during which the body does, does loses all desire for food. And there are moments in our lives that are of great importance where we would do well to renounce food for a little bit of time to devote ourselves to prayer. And, and there's a very understandable reason for this. Uh, we, we, a lot of times we talk about the distractibility of, uh, of the modern person. Very easy to get distracted, to forget about prayers, to miss prayers in the, in the humdrum of life. But if your stomach's growling because it wants food, and your body realizes, hey, we want it wants food, and you're stopping, well, well wait a second, why am I getting food? Oh, I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? Well, I'm devoting myself to prayer. It's like your body's giving you a natural memory, reminder about prayer. And perhaps that's part of the logic of fasting. Maybe that's just a side benefit. But that can help show us that there can be that connection between physical and spiritual. It's not that we're more holy if you if you fast. It's not that there's a greater uh, opportunity for getting the prayer answered if you fast when you pray. Uh, but just that in the Bible, there's probably a reason why intense prayer is associated with fasting, and fasting associated with intense prayer. And there may be other connections that exist between fasting and prayer that you couldn't find on a physical sensor uh, that may be discerned through experience, or maybe just something understood to God uh, and something we can't truly understand. Uh, and are we missing out on those connections that would exist because we're not actually ever fasting along with our praying? Okay, so let's ask the question, when should we fast? Well, fasting's not been commanded. And maybe it was not commanded for this very reason that it loses its power and becomes something rhoto-ritualistic. Because as we see even in the Bible, fasting is inherently contextual. Most of the time the people are fasting is as a, as a result or on account of their experience at a given moment. So we see the examples in the New Testament that before Barnabas and Saul are sent out as missionaries... Uh, both before the Holy Spirit sets them apart, there's a fasting, and right after the Holy Spirit sets them apart, there's fasting. When elders are being commissioned in Acts 14.23, there's fasting. So similar moments today, when we're really... That, 
not that we're not seeking to discern uh, the Lord's purpose in any given context, but when we are really devoted to that purpose, maybe fasting is in order. Before the appointment of elders, or perhaps even deacons, that might be an appropriate res- uh, response of fasting at that time. In the Old Testament, we see times when people fasted when they received news of the death of a beloved person or a ruler. They received calamitous news. There was a severe illness of a person they loved, or when a person felt the need to show contrition before God. And if we find ourselves in similar time- moments, we may feel it is appropriate to fast. Uh, that fasting may be individual communal. Maybe it's just one person doing it. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a whole group of Christians. Uh, but it's always voluntary. The minute somebody is coerced into fasting, it, the whole sentiment is being lost. Uh, the decision to fast is between the faster and God, whatever the catalyst or reason may be. And we can probably not go wrong with this general understanding that if the situation seems to call for very fervent prayers before God, that fasting is likely an appropriate behavior in which to participate at that same time. So how do we fast? If we fast when we, when we understand the moment of fervent prayer, we need to fast at that time. What does fasting look like? And again, we're told about the fasting, we're given examples, but we're not... No particular form has been commanded or bound on the believer. Again, fasting has generally been understood as abstaining from food and drink other than water. Uh, Drinking water is still very important and should not be neglected even in the midst of a fast. Some fasts are for a day. Um, The easiest for most people is from dinner to dinner. Um, Where that's... Some people, it may not be easier, it may be better to do it other times. There are some who decide to fast without eating any food whatsoever for a series of days. Um, But dinner to dinner seems most appropriate for most people. Now, there are people who have health conditions involving insulin, either uh, diabetes or hypoglycemia, where it might not be very wise to fully abstain from food. And such people need to consider their health situation to see whether it is viable to fast at all. Maybe their their bodies just can't handle not fasting. I mean, excuse me, handle fasting. Or maybe that um, they have to eat a particular type of food so that their blood sugar doesn't go crazy, but otherwise they fast. Um, just so they don't cause any health problems. The the idea of going into a, in a coma because of a fast is definitely not the idea here. Uh, the whole idea in Matthew 6, 16, 18 is that fasting should not make that big of an imp- of, of a deal and impression. To the point, the point is that you don't look different. You don't theoretically you shouldn't act differently. Uh, you, although, unfortunately for many of us, if we go without food, we're maybe be a little more cantankerous and short with people. But that would show the lack of self-control and discipline that we need to develop in our own lives, clearly. Uh, but the idea is that life is supposed to go on as normal. Uh, maybe you've decided that you need to take a day off of work to fast and devote yourself to prayer uh, because of the immensity of the situation. Uh, if that's the case, the, the catalyst for that kind of decision is not the fasting. It's what's, in fact, leading to the fasting itself. Uh, but it may be that your day of fasting is a day where you are engaged in other activities, and it should be done so that it's not obvious what you're doing. Um, because the uh, goal and idea is not to draw attention to the fast uh, at all. Uh, it may have to come up in context of a conversation about food. Uh, if you um, 
are invited to a meal with some other people and you decide it's still time to fast, you may not be eating that meal with those people. But whatever it is in the end, the goal is not to, hey, look, I'm fasting. That, that kind of misses the whole point. So there's lots of things that we talked about today in terms of fasting. Uh, there's a lot of people who might look at fasting as antiquated relic, maybe without a lot of value, or something that is done by denominationalists or members of other religions. But there is precedent, Old and New Testaments, apostolically approved examples of fasting, even from the New Testament, and the expectation that Christians at times would fast. Is fasting specifically commanded? No. But that doesn't mean that we should think that it's something that is completely uh, a past thing, but should appreciate that fasting should be our natural, so, or so, so to speak, or expected response to certain situations, and that it doesn't have to be mandated in our lives. And we do well to fast when devoting ourselves to prayer and circumstances. Uh, not for the purpose of losing weight, or to appear holy, or to expect that God's going to really answer our prayers now because we're so holy we're fasting, but the time to renounce one of our great natural impulses to channel that energy into our prayers. So fasting may not be specifically commanded or bound, but we may find it to be a beneficial discipline in our lives of faith before God. So therefore let us devote ourselves to God's purposes according to what he has revealed to us in the New Testament. We're again thankful for your interest in joining us in this conversation. Maybe you have some more questions about fasting, about the disciplines, maybe about other aspects of the New Testament or Christianity. Maybe you uh, have some situation where you want prayer. Uh, maybe you're in a very, you need, you'd like the prayers of others. Maybe you just need to talk. Maybe you need encouragement. If there's any way I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website at theverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Uh, or maybe uh, if there's anything we can do is the Venice Church of Christ. You may should learn more about us or checking us out. Uh, please find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Meetup, Twitter, and others as Venice Church of Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.